Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Wow, I almost choked. Oh, everything okay? Greening Law fights a legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal, which apparently I still need some. But right now, <laughs> the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the Sports Illustrated cover writer, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. And this is Jam Session, the podcast version 254, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We're going to have a fun one here today. Just a quick one that we wanted to drop out for you guys, because I'm going to do a little bit of traveling this weekend Got a lot going on as I am off from my main job on Monday, but we wanted to make sure that you guys had something to listen to this week before we get into the back part of the week. So we are here with you recording this earlier than we normally do, but it's new and it's going to be fun and none of it is going to happen without greening law. And I will tell you this, it's interesting and and I've kind of been telling the story of how, you know, I had honestly accepted that my back is just to a point where I'm just going to have to deal with it for probably my life. And I was hurt in my car accident, and I'd never had back problems in my life until my car accident. And so I'm talking to to Greening Law on the phone about all this, and they go, well, why don't we find out? And I say, okay, all right, yeah, I mean, let's see what worst-case scenario would be. So I had an appointment with a new guy yesterday, and I'm going to get another injection into my back to see if that can help reduce my herniated disc. Because I already had one. And it seemed to help for a little bit, but they're saying they want to do a series to see if they can get it to shrink. Point being that greening law is the reason why I'm, I'm still going through this process because I would have given up. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would have been like, well, whatever. It just is what it is. And they're like, no, let's let's again, it's healing and renewal. I mean, there's a reason why that's their tagline. They're like, are you healed? I was like, well, no. OK, well, let's see if we can get you healed. Then let's keep going. Let's find other people. And they and they set it all up, man. I mean, all I told them was like, no, I'm not healed. And they said, OK, we will find you a place and they will call you and we'll and, and it's that easy for you. They handle all that. And that, my friends, is why you need to pick up the phone whenever you've been involved in an accident. Uh, whether it's at the workplace, uh, somebody else's business, um, in a car accident, and, and give Greening Law a call. The Green Team, 972-934-8900. That doesn't cost you anything, literally nothing, to pick up the phone, tell them your situation, and see how it goes. Because uh, they don't get paid, no fees, no nothing, 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 until you get paid. That's and exactly that's right. That's always a great thing. Yep, and as you mentioned, man, that consultation's free. I mean, when I had my car accident that next Monday, my first call that Monday morning was to Greening Law. They asked me a few questions. They took my case. You can do the same, 972-934-8900, 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now, offices, Dallas, Texas. You know, that is a true story, too, what I was talking about, and it's interesting because I go to the guy, this new guy, and he's like, yeah, so... He looks at my MRI, which I had done months ago, and he, it's weird because he just did a couple of things to my back, and he, and I'm like, you know, I'm, it's uncomfortable, and one of them was like, whoa, okay, yeah, I feel that, and he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, man, you still got to, if, if, you're, if you're responding to it when I do that, then your disc is probably, you know, we could have another MRI, but I can tell you straight out, you got a problem. <laughs> wow. I know, and so I got to go get another steroid injection into my back here in a week or so, 
and we'll see what happens. But it's funny, man, because when anytime he goes, I mean, reality of it is you've, you've been doing chiropractic work. You obviously exercise regularly. He goes, the only other thing we can do is hope the steroid injection works because the option after that is surgery. And we definitely don't want to have to go down that path. No, not unless you have to. Yeah. Uh, you, you never want to get, man, I was going to say, you never want to get cut on unless you have to. I, uh, I was 19, I think, when I went to the dentist, maybe 20 because I was at Ohio State. And uh, the dentist said, hey, your wisdom teeth coming in. They're going to cause you a lot of problems. We need to take them out. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to, you know, surgery, yeah. take them out. Nah, I'm, I'm good, man. I was 19. I got my wisdom. My wisdom teeth finally started bothering me at guess what age? Man, I did 30? Uh, 48. Wow. <laughs> and so that's when I went to have it done. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, until you need it, I wouldn't be rushed. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be worried about. It. Yeah, that's. I, I wouldn't either. And that's the thing is, you know, it's just something that bothers me. Like if I stand too long or I sit too long, my back just it can get. I mean, there are days where it can be very uncomfortable, and I don't even know how really to describe it. And it's just a weird feeling that's just kind of always there. And it's like one of those things. Like you know, if there was a way to get rid of it, you'd be like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. Let's do that. But there are right. also times where I just kind of have accepted, I, I guess this is just how I'm going to feel forever. So hopefully it's this works. Luck. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. But that kind of happened to me. Like, I've had surgery before. I had surgery on my knee probably about nine, nine years after I originally injured it. Because when I originally injured it, I dislocated my kneecap and tore my meniscus. Now, we didn't know that my meniscus was torn. I walked around on a torn meniscus for who knows how long. But originally when I went to the doctor, they were like, Hey, we can put you in a mobilizer, you know, the kneecap popped back into place. He goes, eventually you may have problems with this, but we don't have to do anything right now if you don't want to. And I had an MRI and stuff at the, at the original time of the injury, but they did not see that anything was torn in the knee. It started bothering me over the course of time. So nine years after the original injury, I go and I go to this other guy and he said that he didn't even, cause they did another MRI. He said they didn't know I had a torn meniscus until they went in and they saw that my meniscus was torn because it didn't show up on an MRI. Good grief. Isn't that weird? Yeah, so he fixed all that, and, and you know, I probably need to get another knee scope, but like you say, man, <laughs> the problem with surgery is, like, I don't care about the surgery. It's the recovery and rehab process where for people like, people like you and me that are really active and like to work out and stay in shape multiple days a week, I mean, you're talking in some cases that can that can put you down from what you normally do for like a month. And then it takes you like two more months to get back to where you were before you went through it. So it feels like you've dropped off for three months. Uh, no, that's that's definitely the case. Um, I, I got caught up in some work stuff probably last month. I think I told you. Yeah. Um, and I didn't go for five days, which is like I go six days a week most of the time. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, it took me about two and a half weeks to get back to feeling normal at the gym and so that's why i don't really like to miss days because yeah. uh, you feel like crap uh, when you come back yeah especially if you're doing that man i mean i like the most that i'll take off usually is like three days and there are times that i'll come back and i feel super refreshed and i feel like i like oh, my body's like hell yeah let's attack this but man taking off a week you feel like you have just lost something because you almost get addicted to it. I mean, like there's a variety of different things that you can do. And working out is one of those. Like once it becomes a regular part of your life, it, 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 like it just is like you feel weird when you don't do it. No, that's uh, that's me. It's uh, I've been going at five to five thirty. I don't know, man, for 20 some years. Yeah, which is I mean, that has always blown my mind. <laughs> that's just how I roll. I know it is. I know. But it always has blown my mind. So we do have a couple of things that we wanted to get into here, and I guess we'll start with this because we saw this happen a couple of days ago, and I've been trying to figure out, I think this is an interesting conversation because the Golden State Warriors have won another NBA championship. That means that Steph Curry has four rings. Steve Kerr now has four rings as the head coach of the Warriors. He has nine rings combined in his career because he won a couple with the Bulls and, and a couple with the Spurs. And obviously, when he was a player. And so you look at this, and, and I mean, we talked about this like a while back, and it might have been going into the NBA Finals. But since the Warriors have won, and nobody would think this, they are now the third most successful franchise in NBA history. The Lakers and the Celtics have 17 titles. The Warriors as a franchise have seven. Nobody else has more than that except the Lakers and the Celtics. Wow. 
How about that? I got to tell you, you found something that wasn't on my radar. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. And so, you know, when I, when I look at the franchise of the Warriors and I look at this era of the Warriors, like, like in my mind, the Warriors, and, and granted, they've won four and eight years. They had three championships before this. I think one of those came in Philadelphia, maybe two of them. And one came in the 70s when they had first moved to San Francisco. But it, like in my memory, the Warriors were Mitch Richmond, Tim Hardaway Jr., or not Jr., Tim Hardaway Sr., and Chris Mullins back in the day who put together something decent in the late 80s. And then you had the Baron Davis teams, the one that upset the Mavs in 07. But outside of that, I always kind of viewed them as a crappy franchise, and here they are with seven titles. Uh, that's because they were kind of a crappy franchise. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what happened to me is is they, they, they looked into stuff – and then they got the other Splash yeah. brother, and then Draymond. They got the triumvirate that, that leads their team. But to me, the most impressive thing about this run is, man, this to me was, and, and I think the Warriors talked about it, so it's not like, you know, some breaking news thing. But to get it with the same core, you know, a decade after you start is impressive. And for them, that's, I think it was hugely important for them to win one without KD, another one without KD yeah. to say, you know, yo, dog, you came along for the ride. You were part of the ride. You're great, but don't get it twisted thinking that you you were the main ingredient. We couldn't get it done without you. Yeah, and, you know, there's something to be said because of what these guys have been able to accomplish, and I was just looking at this. That 07 team that beat the Mavs in the playoffs, that was the only time from 1995 until they made the playoffs again in 2013 with Steph. They made the playoffs one year in that entire, from 95 to 2013. I mean, that's almost 20 years. I think it was 19 seasons they made the playoffs once. And for whatever reason, it feels like when you look at a guy like Steph and Clay and Green, the fact that they did it with one team, that Steph did all four, he's not LeBron jumping around. He's not KD jumping around, or, or even if Harden figured out how to get one, that Steph... <laughs> Steph stuck with this franchise that had been crap and has not left and stayed with it. But I agree with you. There's something to the fact that they won one without KD. Then they won, what, two with KD. And then they went through what they went through. They lost in the NBA Finals back in 2019 to the Raptors. They had two years where they struggled. I mean, they sucked that one year when Clay was hurt and Steph was dealing with a lot of injuries. And then to bounce back, win 50-plus games, win the NBA Finals again without KD after what they'd been through the last two seasons. It, I think it, it, it's something that when we look at this era of the NBA, you know, LeBron is probably the best player in this era, but the way that Steph has gone about it and the way that this team has gone about it, I mean, this is one of the great dynasties in NBA history, I think. Oh, I, I think it is, man, because the players are better than they've ever been. And so, you know, LeBron is, is the guy who runs his, you know, who's run the NBA for the last 20 years, uh, much like Jordan did it during his reign. And so for you to end up, um, you know, competing with him in terms of titles and, and uh, all the other stuff, I just think it's, uh, I mean, they're sensational, man. And, you know, I think the other thing is they, they get credit for is they, they change the game. Steph changed the game. Yeah. And so when you can change the game and win, that's one thing. And what I mean is, like, if you look at Dan Tony. Mike D'Antoni, the coach who was with mm. Phoenix, and this we got this up tempo offense, and we you know we win sixty some games in the regular season, but couldn't get it done in the playoffs because that style of basketball typically doesn't win in the playoffs. Then you look at the Warriors; it's even more impressive because they do all of this, yet they play terrific defense. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, they win. They actually win championships multiples and you know we're talking about it's in the last eight years four championships they obviously played in the NBA finals a couple of other times which they lost you look at the year the 73 and 9 team that was dominant I didn't think anybody would ever surpass the the Bulls when they went 72 and 10 and they didn't even win the NBA championship that year that was one of the years they lost in the finals but you look at what Steph has accomplished and how the level that he has put himself on with this this ring and the company that he keeps, which is extremely rare air. I mean, we're talking about a guy who now is the sixth player in NBA history, four rings, multiple league MVPs, and a finals MVP, joining Magic, Kareem, Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James. And, and he's the only player in NBA history, you talk about changing the game, he has over 3,100 three-pointers made in his career. No one else in NBA history has more than 3,000. He's the first player ever to hit 3,000. 
and to shoot at the rate that he shoots at. And I was looking at this the other day, and I thought this was interesting. Two-point field goal percentage is dominated by big men, <laughs> right? You know, because they're down there, and they have like two-foot shots and dunks that they're doing all the time. Steph is the only player in NBA history in the top 10 of true shooting percentage that is a guard, that is not a big man. Like nine out of the other 10, like, you know, I think DeAndre Jordan is the highest two-point percentage and true shooting percentage in NBA history. But what'd he do? He dunked and stood three feet from the goal. Steph Curry's all over the court hitting mid-range jumpers, hitting them from the logo, hitting three-pointers. And he's fifth all-time in true shooting percentage. I mean, what we've seen from this guy, I don't even know that you can debate the fact that he's the best shooter we've ever seen. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Not not given this, the times that we play in, because you know, obviously, there's been other great shooters. Uh, but you know, he just. I mean, all you can say is he revolutionized the game. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do. Uh, you know, my son played AU basketball for three years. Your son has played basketball. All you have to do is go out and look at kids warming up before the games. They used to warm up in the dunk line and you know be throwing down acrobatic yeah. dunks like like who like michael jordan mm-hmm. uh now they're all shooting they can't even get the ball there and they're shooting from 35 feet all trying to be the next stuff yeah that's very true man my son does that you know it used to drive me insane we're talking about when i was coaching his teams like in third grade fourth grade whatever it was and, and he'd be out there trying to jack up three pointers i'm like what do you like you can barely pick up the ball and throw it that far and, but, you know, that's <laughs> all the kids love Steph. They love the way they play. I mean, hell, you play NBA 2K22. Uh, that's all you do on NBA 2K22. You, you, if you play with the Warriors, you play with one of those teams that has a three-point shooter, you just stand out there and jack up threes the whole time. Dude, that's, I mean, but, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. It's strength. It's, it's accuracy. Because you got to be able to do that in the fourth quarter when you're tired, if that's going to be your game. Um, but, uh you know, there's always been guys like this. You just weren't rewarded like it because you didn't have the three-point shot. I mean, uh, dude, my father um, used to tell the story all the time every summer. I mean, it was one of the summer stories. Like, he calls me on my birthday every year and tells me the story of my birth and how he got arrested speeding to the hospital and all this other stuff. Um, but he used to always tell this story about this guy named Herschel Carter who used to pull up from just beyond midcourt and drain shots. Of course, they were still only two pointers. Yeah, and he used and he used to drive the coach crazy, because but he had that kind of range. And he said uh, he, he and he had the green light to shoot whenever, until my dad said he took the ball out of bounds one time. Got it, you know. He took the ball in bounds one time. Got it. Took about three dribble dribbles, and took a shot from the top of his own key. Golly, <laughs> man. You know, and, and, and to be fair, there's guys like that, even like a guy like Pistol Pete who played before the invention of the three-point line. And, and you look at him, I mean, he still holds the all-time record. I think it was 44.2 points per game in college. And you just wonder if the three-point line had existed for guys like that, like, like maybe it would have been different, but it didn't exist. It exists for these guys. And we talk about how they've changed the game and how much different the game is. You can go and look at this. Out of the top 20 seasons of three-point attempts, 19 of them are within the last six years. The only one that isn't was when George McLeod attempted 678 back in 96. All the other 19 are literally within the last six years, and that just goes to show you how the game has changed and how a guy like Steph Curry, who has four of the top six three-point attempt seasons in NBA history have changed what in what the basketball world looks at as effective basketball today bro it's just you know it's, it's evolution and it happens but it takes a special player to to start the evolution and you can look all the way back through basketball man whether it was uh, Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar any of those guys who literally changed the game because only a handful of people who can ever change a game because they're so good and you know maybe that's a that's a, that's kind of an intriguing topic. Like who who has changed the games in their respective sports? And you talk about the guys we just talked about, Wilt. You know they outlawed the dunk. You know you know or widen the lane, shorten widen the lane because he was doing his thing. Kareem they outlawed the dunk. You got Jordan who changed the game aesthetically and culturally. Uh, Dirk. You know then you got yeah Dirk yeah uh, and don't don't don't. Uh, don't be out there laughing because Dirk did. Dirk no, made true. the stretch. Dirk made the stretch four, dude, the seven footer who could shoot threes. Now Kevin Durant shows up 
as a seven footer who can shoot threes. Otherwise, he'd be a little skinny dude in the post with no career. Yeah, and, and, um, and KD's talked about how Dirk was so influential on on him. Yeah, but it, it's also like that in other sports. Yeah, you know when you're talking about Tiger, Tiger proofing the Masters and all of that sure. stuff, and and like the first and, golfer uh, who ever really lifted weights and worked out and took care of his body. Yeah, not a lot of them do it. They're not just dad bods out yeah. there doing it. Um, you didn't, you know, you got Gretzky who changed hockey and made showmanship all part of that. So, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, it's amazing when you look at the guys who are so great that they could change the game. Even a guy like Bob Gibson who's so overpowered. Okay, we got to raise, we got to raise him out. One point one two ERA in sixty eight. The right. year of the picture. We, we, yeah, we we can't. You know, there's too many. Is the best are the best are too good when we do it like this. So we got to change it. So, nah, man, when you can change the game, man, you can win. There's nothing but love there. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. And that's one of those things that Steph, and, and that's the thing is that you wonder how much longer a guy like him plays. I mean, he's 34 years old. He, he, he'll he be 35 by this time next year. But you wonder if he's got a few more seasons left in the way they play, can they still keep that going and get another ring? I don't know. And then, you, I mean, you look at a coach like, like Steve Kerr, the only coaches in NBA history that have more rings than him now – are obviously Phil Jackson, who I don't know that anybody's ever going to get 11 again. We'll see Red Auerbach with the Celtics back in the day had nine. Greg Popovich has five, and Pat Riley had five. And then Steve, there's Steve Kerr with his four rings. He's going to be hard-pressed to get fifth because this is a this is an older team. Yep. And only good thing is, is they've, they've worked some young guys in there, man, whether it's Jordan Poole or whether it's Gary Payton. Whether he's the junior or the second, I get it confused. Uh, you know, they didn't have Wiseman, the the top pick out of uh, Memphis from a couple of years ago, because he was hurt most of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, so if they if those guys can come in and integrate and be real players, then the burden on Steph is not so much. But you saw a decline in Clay Thompson this year. Um, you've seen a decline in Draymond, and what it the decline for those guys when they because of the level that they're at means. Instead of doing what they do four out of five nights, they probably do it two out of five or three out of five. Yeah, and, and we'll see. I'm very curious to see now that those guys are all, I mean, Steph obviously already is in his mid-30s, but Clay and, and Draymond being 32 years old each as they add another year. And the West isn't getting any easier. We know that. I mean, the Mavs are gearing up trying to do some things. So it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward. But, man, I, I mean, even if this is it, four titles for this. And any time you win four in that short a time, I mean, you're a dynasty. And we haven't seen anybody do it like this since the Bulls last did it in the 90s. And they are that team. They are this generation's Chicago Bulls. No, they are. And there's nothing you can say about it. They've, they're fantastic. Uh, but to me, man, it's the mix of offense and defense. Most teams are offensively minded, defensively minded. They're not. They're not like this team where they're both. Yeah, that's very true. Bruce Biltong, my friend, have you guys ordered yours yet? If not, I would encourage you. I would highly encourage you to jump online at b r u s b i l t o n g dot com. Bruce Biltong, the South African air dried meat that was created by a rocket scientist who used to work at SpaceX. We had him on the podcast a while back. I mean, he's just a good dude, man. We all, he's such a good conversation. And he makes a really good snack. And, and to me, that's what this is. I mean, I suppose you could make a meal out of it. But biltong is the thing. If you haven't tried it yet, I think once you have it, you kind of get hooked on it. And you realize, okay, it really is tender. It's not as tough as beef jerky, but it's similar to that. It has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients. It's high in protein, and it really makes a great snack to kind of fill in the holes throughout your day. Dude, it's fantastic. You know, I've been rocking with it for a minute, and y'all know why. It's the protein, man. It's the 30 grams. It's 240 calories. It's just the perfect snack, um, especially in the middle of the day when you're trying not to eat bad, <laughs> which can be a challenge. Um, and for me, man, Biltog, it's savory. It's juicy. It's succulent. The shave is how I go. Make it happen, man. It is Bruce Biltong. Use the promo code JAM15 at checkout. J-A-M-15. You get 15% off your order at BruceBiltong.com. Also, of course, a reminder, because some of you are like, oh, yeah, I do need to get an oil change, or your state inspection is up. Whatever it may be, 
you got to get on down to JR's shop, man. Freeway Tire Shop, just north of downtown Dallas. That's where Jacques takes all of his cars. And as we have told you now for forever, the reason why to do this, because I know some of you hear this, you go, yeah, yeah, we know you can trust them. And I bet that's true, but I don't know, man. And I will tell you straight out, some of you even, I've heard, we've had people message us, yeah, it's a little, a little too far to go. Okay, well then continue going to the shop that you go to and that you wonder if you're actually getting the service that they say, that you really don't trust. Or drive to Freeway Tire Shop, drop it off, and when you pick it up, you will actually feel relieved because you know that JR is taking care of you. Dude, JR is the best. Uh, and he's the best because he's got... The customer service is off the chart, and he's the best because you can trust him, man. You can trust him to, one, diagnose your issue. Two, you can trust him to use quality parts to fix whatever said issue is. Three, and this is a big one for me, man, he'll charge you a fair price. And then four, he stands behind his work. I don't really know what more you want from a mechanic other than that. I don't either, and he's easy to get to. I mean, it is... It's not even a stone's throw. I mean, you, you might be able to throw a feather and hit it. It's that close to, uh, to 35, right there on the north side of 35. It's Freeway Tire Shop, literally two minutes from downtown Dallas. You can request a quote. You can schedule an appointment at freewaytireshop.com. So let's take a quick trip around the block, and we're going to talk about it. We are going to talk about it. Many of you reached out because many of you watch The Boys. And The Boys Season 3 dropped on Amazon Prime a couple of weeks ago, and that is a show that is colossally inappropriate to watch with anybody who is not of age. <laughs> so <laughs> while we had my son the last couple of weeks, there's no way I could watch that. Well, we finally got around to watching it this week. I think we've seen, either the, I think we've seen the first three episodes so far of Season 3. And so, yes, this will maintain spoilers if you watch The Boys and you have not had an opportunity to get to season three yet, do not listen. Just hit fast forward. Do whatever you need to do because we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this. Episode one. And I've, I couldn't believe the amount of people that were like, have you guys seen this? Oh, I, are you going to talk about it? Yeah, we're going to talk about it. And yes, all of you are right. I don't know that even I could have conjured up a situation because I got to tell you, so what happens is, and for those that don't know that aren't ever going to watch this and are listening and you don't care about the spoilers, The Boys is extraordinarily graphic. It might be the most graphic television show I've ever seen. And, and, and from a standpoint of death, people exploding, heads getting cut off, limbs getting ripped off, blood getting all over everything with guts all over the place. I mean, it is graphic, graphic. That being said... They have found a way to raise the bar. <laughs> Dude. Because, man, so <laughs> there's a superhero in this called Termite, and he can shrink himself down to, I guess, like essentially the size of like a termite. I mean, he can get super, super tiny. It's almost like, for those of you familiar with Marvel and the Avengers, it, it, it would be like Ant-Man, who can shrink himself down to like the size of an ant. He's like that. They show him at a party and he has shrunk himself down to the size of like a little Ken doll. And he is, he is, I guess, having sex with the Barbie doll. And everybody at the party is like watching this and thinks it's hilarious. So then he stops doing that and becomes a normal sized human. And he's just, he's butt naked. And I got to say, you rarely ever see male <laughs> frontal nudity in anything. And so right, I'm right, here right. for it because I, I think when you get a chance because they never show it, so it can be, when it's used right, you're like, dang, man, okay, so that's where we're going. And it was just so nonchalant. I mean, it was like, hey, here I am, and I'm, a, I'm just normal-sized human now, and here I am naked. Right. So apparently this, this is a gay superhero who has a lover, and they begin kissing. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, when he said, I want you in me, I, I thought he was going to shrink himself and crawl into his butt. That's what you thought was going to happen? Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. And so when he shrunk himself, and I thought, oh, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. And that is not. So the guy puts his thing out on the table. And we see the termite man crawl into the pee hole of his lover. 
And I got to tell you, man, not in my wildest, weirdest, I'm trying to top you like, oh, you think that's weird? Let me come up with something for you. I have never thought of anything like this before. And I got, I think I actually applauded it when I saw this. <laughs> it's the, you know, it's the, it's the, what do I want to say? It's the, um, it's the creativity for me, man. <laughs> like who sat around and said, dude. I've got, it's, it'd be like when uh, you'd walk in the office and go, dude, I've got a great idea for a, for a bit. Check this out. Like, who walked into yeah. the room and said, hey, I'm going to write this scene. Tell me what you guys think. I just started this last night. That's what I was wondering. When I saw that, I was like, God, I mean, were they on drugs? Was it just a, hey, let's get drunk and throw out whatever we can possibly think of? And somebody just randomly said this? Because the dude climbs into it. And he's walking, and, and, and I got to tell you, like, I th and I did have this thought, because I thought, I was like, man, I don't think that that would feel good. Like, that seems weird to me that this guy is enjoying this. Like, I get it, because he goes, get to the prostate, and I understood that. But, like, when he was walking down, I mean, it's your urethra is what it is, and he's, right. he's walking down this, and I just thought, I don't know that, I, I, I just think that would feel really weird, not good. <laughs> and then he tries to, he has to sneeze, and he contains the first one, and then he has to sneeze again, and it, it makes himself a normal human when he sneezes again, and he just explodes the guy. From the inside out, from inside of his, his thing. With his, with his bowels and stuff hanging yes. out, bro. And, and you're just like, oh, my God. And then, of course, it's the, incredible. The, the, the superhero guy, the soup that they call him in the show, like he was all horrified and whatnot because he just killed his lover on accident and all this. And it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is one of the most elite-level bizarre scenes I have ever seen in any movie of all time. Dude, it's at the top. It's at the very top. It's it's at the very top. It's magnificent. It really, man. I mean, fantastic. And I and they had a couple of them in in the first couple of episodes. And again, you forget when you haven't seen the boys since last season, you forget just how viciously graphic and gory this show is, man. I mean, it is on a level. I I, I don't think. I've ever seen it. It's almost like if you've seen the Kill Bill movies that Quentin Tarantino did, or like Django right. Unchained at the end of Django Unchained when they're just slaughtering everybody in the slate in the in the whatever that was the plantation home, right? It, it, but even then, that's on a level where it's almost cartoonish, and this is like real looking, dude. It's I mean, but that's what uh, that's what the boys have have become. I mean, yeah. that's how they started. They started with something shocking, graphic, and creative, and they've continued it. Um, and that's, you know, to me, that's their thing. That's what they do. And uh, that's why the show is successful, especially when you weave in all the other stuff. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a wild show. It's an it's a, uh, extremely creative show. And, uh, hey, I look forward to their next sensational murder. Yeah, death. I do too, man. And it is, I mean... It is really, really weird. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. It is really, really weird, but it is phenomenal. I, I absolutely love this show. I think it is really good. I'm a, I'm a really, really big fan of it. Really, really big fan of it. And, and it reminded me of some other, like I've seen a lot of movies and obviously we watch a lot of shows. And the only thing I could think of that I thought was as weird as this there is a movie called Nowhere. It came out in 1997. Right. And I don't even remember the concept of the movie. All I remember is that at the very end, the very end of the movie, this one character just explodes into like, like this. Like these guys and the boys explode. And it's just blood and guts everywhere. And, right. in, and it's just this like kind of like, two foot cockroach just sitting on the bed in place of him and he looks at the dude on the bed next to him and he just goes i'm out of here and he crawls <laughs> out the window and that's the end of the movie wow and i and i'll never forget that scene because i'm just it's so bizarre where you're like what the hell so the whole time this guy was like some cockroach controlling a human and that kind of reminded <laughs> me of this like you just didn't expect like it's so unexpected and I mean, I mean, on a level that I mean, I, again, I applaud them. I thought it was I mean, there's a level of genius to it. And I got to say, man, the more that and I don't know if you've ever seen anything. I'm trying to remember the dude's name that plays Homelander. 
in the boys. Yeah, yeah. I don't know his name. I just know him as Homelander. Yeah, let me look. Homelander him up. dude. Anthony Starr is his name, and Anthony Starr is forty six years old. He's originally from New Zealand, and I don't recall seeing him in anything before this. Although he's been in a few things, right. I I know I've never seen any of the movies that he's been in. But he had been in a, a couple of episodes of shows here and there. He had a lead role in some show called Banshee, which I, I, I'm unfamiliar with. But I got to say, man, I saw an interview with this guy, like just the normal dude, just as himself. Right. And the fact that that dude is Homelander, it's if you have you should go watch an interview with him and it'll give you a, a totally new appreciation for the level that he can take that character to. Why? Because is he like a, an unassuming? Yes, like like almost like soft spoken. Yes, guy. like a nerdy type. Just like in the fact that he gets to that level with some of his facial expressions, and and, and the douche level that he can take that guy to. <laughs> I mean, and sometimes like like the best that he does. I mean, if you just watch the boys and you pay attention to that guy when he's not speaking. And the way he does his eyes and his facial expressions, I mean, I feel like he's, he doesn't get enough appreciation for the role of Homelander and how good he plays that. No, nah, I think uh, I think you're right because he is, uh, you know, that character is a really complex character. Yes. He's got a lot of emotions going on, man. He's the baddest man on the planet, yet he's so incredibly insecure. Yes. Um, you know, and, um, you know, he's also narcissistic and, and all these other things. Um and he's like really not a good person. <laughs> no, not at all. He's a horrible person. <laughs> so to watch him battle through all this stuff while trying to portray this image of being good is, uh, you know, it's quite compelling. Yeah, and I think that's part of it is is the dilemma with all of the different soups, the superheroes on this, and and how a couple of them actually are like good people. And and I mean, it's a fascinating show, man. It really is. And there's it's there's nothing like it on television. It, it, it's so colossally unique. There's just nothing like it. And that's one nah, of the reasons why I love it. No, nah, that's why it works, man. I mean, um, I was trying to figure out how to articulate. You know how hard it is to be unique in this day and age? Oh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. And how do you be creative and come up with something that nobody's seen before? Um, I liken it to this, um, you know, because I... Somebody, uh, one of my bosses told me this a long time ago, and it's incredibly true. You know, to be unique and creative and, and write a script or write a scene that nobody's ever seen or thought about, it's like back in the, and we could do it now, man. It's like you get a sign, go write me a Dak Prescott profile. Okay, cool. But write, but I want some stuff that nobody's read before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Well how, do, well, how do I do that? And that's the trick. And uh, I got told that when um, I got assigned a story in, uh, I think it was 1995, actually. And you can tell, I re you can tell how, how big a deal it was because I remember it distinctly. And I was told, uh, I want, we want a story on Michael and Emmett's friendship, and we don't want the same story we've read before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I try to think uh, about that sometimes when I interview people on the radio. And, and that's where it gets really interesting because you never know, are they going to answer stuff if I don't ask the generic stuff that they've already been asked a million times? Oh. But to me, I'm always sitting there going, well, I mean, literally the stuff like, hey, coach, how do you think this season's going to go? I can Google yeah. that and find your answer. Right. Well, let me see now. And this is what happens with me and Matt when, uh, when we're freestyling because we're finna go down a rabbit hole that Matt will enjoy. Well, I assume he will. Um because I was telling this to somebody yesterday. Um, I've got a project coming up that I can't talk about yet. I gave, I gave Matt a clue about what it was the other day. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a huge project. Um, and who, I'll be able to talk about it at some point, but now nah, it's not the day. And so as part of preparation for this project, like one of the things I'm good at and one of the things I've evolved into, and I can tell you exactly when it happened, bro, is I'm a really good interviewer now really good i'm just that's kind of yeah. like what i do and i got really good when i was working with this guy named sean assail at espn on this story about thomas johnson the uh former skyline texas a&m receiver who killed this guy that were white rock lake with a machete 
and we did a big story uh, for ESPN the magazine. Uh, it won a couple of national awards for science writing and something else. Um, but he showed me how you interview. And you combine that with the fact that like either a year before or a year after I went to this class, this three-day seminar interviewing by this guy named John Sawatsky, who's, all you got to do is Google him and, excuse me, you'll hear about his interview techniques and all this other stuff. And so, dude, in preparation for this project, I literally spent about three hours the other day <laughs> reading stories on how to conduct interviews and um, and how you elicit information and how you probe and how you get it and glean it from people who aren't, you know, it's not that they might not want to give it up. It's just that if you don't ask the right questions, you can't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, I was, uh, now to bring it full circle. So I got this Emmett and Michael story and um, Michael says, I don't really have time to talk meet me at the barbershop so i meet him at this barbershop and we talk while he's getting his hair cut and then emmett had some function he was going like a sit down he had like a weekly show or something and he was doing it at a kroger and like he said come get come get with me after the show so i went to the show and listened and it started off as well you guys are friends and you hang around a lot da 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 and it turned out that they're really like us man like they're boys yeah but their boys at the field and in the locker room, like, but they don't like hang out after the show. And so that was the story. It was like, yeah, they're really good friends, but they're not nearly as they're not nearly as tight as you think that they're double dating every weekend. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So and so then they were like, Great, that's a great story. We didn't know that. We thought they were hanging out every weekend together. That's why we wanted to do the story. Now, if we bring it back to twenty twenty, and I teach this in my class, man, interviewing is a lost art. And I tell my students that, you know, the way to write a good story is to write a good sentence. And you're like, well, duh. No, it's hard to write a good sentence, man. (laughs) But if you stack good sentences into good paragraphs, then you write good stories. And so with interviewing, man, it's all about. um, I got another story for you, Matt. Okay. This guy, this guy called me up. He's a young guy. And I try to do this with young people because I was once young and people did it for me. Hey, Mr. Taylor, I've got a podcast. Can I have, can, will you come on it? Oh, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to do it. But again, he had done a couple other people, uh, noted people. So I was like, okay. And so he did the interview and it was awful. And so I sent him a text afterward. I said, I'm going to do this out of love, man. I want you to go back and, and listen to the interview. And I want you to tape. I want you to have your stopwatch with you on your phone. And, and time each question and each answer. And I said, I guarantee you, you'll find out that you talk three times as much as I did. Yeah, that drives me insane. Right, because the key to interviewing is to make your question very short. Why did you do that, Matt? How were you feeling? Give me an example. Describe your emotion. All of those make you answer a question. Um, and if you keep your questions short, then you don't get in the way and you give that person time to talk because most people, most people enjoy talking about themselves, even if they say they don't. Um, and so, you know, when you get trained to do that or, you know, um, this guy, you know, here's Matt in the locker room or here's Matt talking about, you know, I had the worst relationship with this coach. He was just an asshole. Okay. That's, that's the first question. I mean, that's the answer. Well, what made him an asshole, Matt? Oh, I used to yell and fuss and scream all the time. Oh, well, give me an example of that. Yeah. Boom. Now you got a story and an anecdote. And if you want to, you can go back to the coach and ask. Or you can ask other players who are on the team then about if they remember that moment. But when you know how to probe and get like that, you can glean information that other people can't. And that's why when people say, oh, he sucks, he's a terrible, he's a terrible quote, he's a terrible interviewer. Uh, most of the time, your questions were shitty. Yeah, you didn't give them an opportunity to uh, to expound and, and to be the best version of themselves. Yeah, and then a lot of the times, I think, especially in radio, and, and obviously doing it on on the radio is a little different than doing it how you do it most of the time. But 
You know, you hear a lot on the radio where people, they ask a question and then they answer it themselves and then circle back around and end up asking the question again. And I always think, well, what's he supposed to say? You literally just, I mean, it's, you know, like it'd be, hey, coach, you guys had a really good game. What was the key to that? Because I thought, you know, that the way that you guys ran the ball and we were able to control the clock, I thought that that really played a lot into that and, and moving the ball down the field. You did that really quite well. But what did you think was the key? It's like, well, yep, that's how, <laughs> that's how it goes. You know, <laughs> or this one. Uh um, is Matt going to play this week or have you, do you need a couple more days to figure that out? Right. And it, it, it's, you gotta just give them the open-ended question where they can answer it themselves. <laughs> and you know, the other thing that, and what and happens is a question, it, ask a question. Well, yes. Um, several people make statements. Yes. Um, you guys played good today. You know, stuff like that. You're right. We um, did. Was there, what's the question? <laughs> or, you know, uh, did Dak get hurt in the second quarter? It looked like it affected him on that deep ball late. That's two questions. And you don't want to ask two questions because right. very rarely do you get two answers. Yep. Um, and, you know, man, it's uh, – but the reason I know I love what I do is I spent those three hours reading about interview techniques. And I could have spent another three because I'm going back in my head about, you know, how to um, – how to execute it for this project and, and what types of things do I want to do um, and, and all of that. And so it all goes back to interview, man. So as a journalist, I tell my kids, you know, interviewing is the most important skill that you can have because that's that allows you to get the information. And once you got the information, now you're good, but you need the information to get going. Yeah, and that's one thing that I enjoy. That's one of the reasons why I like listening to Howard Stern interview people is, is the way that he does it and he gets such – he gets people in a comfort level where they will reveal things to him. And, and you hear it all the time when people are talking to him, they're like, man, how'd you get me to say this? Now, granted, he has as much time in a lot of cases. He has an hour, hour and a half to, to really have a conversation with somebody, you know, but there's a variety of different people out there that I think are good to listen to. And even sometimes people that I'll listen to that I, I don't like the way that they're interviewing. And it's almost just a reminder. Okay, well, don't do that when I'm trying to interview somebody. Right. Now, see, you also made a good point. An interview should not be a conversation. Right. It should it should feel conversational, but it shouldn't be a conversation because we're having a conversation. So what are we doing? We're both giving each other information. I, I give a point. Then you give a point. I give one. Then you give one. If you're doing an interview, I don't want I don't need to be making points. I just need to for you to be asking questions and making points, uh, you know, because we're, I'm not in, I'm not trying to get control of the conversation. And say, hey, listen to me. Let me top you with this one. Uh, I'm just trying to get information from you. And so, you know, that's the key is to make it feel conversational without it being conversational. Yeah. And, and a good interview, which I feel like really good interviews, you don't hear them a lot. And there are people that, that have prominent radio shows. And sometimes when they're interviewing people, even I'm just like, man. I mean, why have a guest if you just want to talk the whole time? <laughs> well, you know, this is what we do, man. Um, some of what you do when you do that, and it's not like I've never done any of this in the past, is you're trying to prove that you know what you're talking about. Um, there's a guy who covers the Cowboys whose name shall, re whose name shall not be mentioned. And um, one of the players said, this guy is always trying to make it seem like he's so smart. He has these long-ass questions. That don't make any sense. And the whole point of that is you think if a player noticed that you asked that you regularly ask long ass questions. Yeah. Then that means you do it. <laughs> that means you need to change your vibe. But if nobody's ever told you, you you haven't done it because when you when you know better, you do better. Yeah, I would completely agree. The art of interviewing. What a rabbit hole that was. I told you. I told you. You know, one thing that I do do on the radio is sometimes like I had an opportunity to interview a couple of these USFL head coaches and they right. don't, they, I assume they don't know who I am. I mean, for all I know, they drive around town, they listen to the show, but I, I'm just under, I always go into it like, okay, they've never heard me. They don't know who I am. So right. sometimes what I'll do is I, I try to find something that we might have in common or right. that I find interesting that has nothing to do with what they're currently doing. 
you know, kind of like what you're talking about when you go into the locker room and, and you're, you know, like when you first meet Zeke and you may go, hey, man, I'm a Buckeye or whatever it is that you do. Right. You know, you try to establish that. So it gets them to be like, oh, OK, so maybe this guy has something that I like or or like, for instance, Larry Fedora, who's the head coach, I think, of the Houston Gamblers, if I recall. And he was right. on the show a couple of weeks ago. Well, he started his coaching career back in the day as a high school assistant at Garland High School. Wow. So I was like, hey, coach, you know, I see that you're from Garland. I actually grew up in Rockwall. We used to play you guys back then. And I, I can't remember exactly what I asked him, but it was something where he was like, oh, man, you're taking me way back with that. He goes, yeah. And he kind of went off on this tangent and just it was the best. It was the best answer I got out of him the whole entire conversation. <laughs> No, I I, uh, I believe that man. It's um, and you know you were t- you was you were making this point um about this that same type of thing. How you do that? Yeah. And um, some of us looking through bios or when you're doing research reading, a lot of times people write stories and there's one line in there that says, "Oh, he loves fishing." Right. But that's the only thing. That's the only time that they mention it, and they go on with their story. Well, when you're trying to write something new. You say, let me pull out this line about he loves fishing, and let's dive into that. When did you start fishing? Who taught you how to fish? What kind of fish do you like to catch? Why? Fishing doesn't seem very challenging. How can you figure out where the fish are going to be? I mean, all those things to people who love that thing, they could talk all day about it. Yeah, and yeah. And so it's, it's figuring out that little nugget that, that clearly is in there um, that needs to be fleshed out. That uh, that separates the good interviews from the bad ones. So there you go. All you guys trying to start up a podcast of your own. Maybe you just learned a little something. See, there you go. I do think it's interesting how many people, it's, whether it's a podcast or young people that want to get into radio and stuff, and they never listen to themselves. That blows my mind. I'm like, how the hell are you going to get any better if you don't have any idea what people are listening to? Not just that, man. But um, I believe, like... Um, you have to do self-scouting, whether you listen to your pod, your own podcast or yeah. your own uh, radio show or if you're writing. You know, I go back and read stories I've written periodically to say, OK, this is good. But if I had done this, this, this and this, it would have been so much better. You know, I could have gone and got the details on this, but I, I missed You know, just so that you're always, you know, you're always just trying to be better because, um, you know, to me, being a writer is uh is like being a golfer or being a weightlifter meaning you can never be perfect you can right. never max it out you can never write i mean you're never going to get 18 holes in one so you can always get better um you know lifting weights you can always put two and a half more pounds on the side on sure. your side you can never you can never conquer it so it's always about being the best version of yourself on any particular day and then look back and say oh 10 years ago i was benching 10 reps at 135 and now I'm benching 10 reps at 185 and you know 10 years after that I was benching 10 reps at 225 you know you're just looking for progress yeah man I mean it's it's something else we have a young guy at the station that wants to to do this you know and he kind of works behind the scenes and I asked him I was like well do you I was like do you listen to yourself he's like oh no he's like I don't like how I sound and I just told him I was like well then why would I like how you sound I was like, I, you, like, you got to listen to yourself, dude. I was like, you may not like hearing your own voice, but you got to get past that or you're in the wrong medium. And if if you don't enjoy listening to yourself and you don't think, okay, that's how I want it to be, I, and I hope I'm coming across that way to others, then why the hell is anybody ever going to pay attention to you? Well, that's why you're supposed to be listening to it so you can figure out, you know, whether you're saying you know too much. Yeah, all that type <laughs> of stuff, man. I mean, anytime I do a new bit, especially, or something that we haven't done before, I always go back and listen to it to see if it came across in listening to it the way that I was trying to present it. Like, every time. I mean, I don't, I don't listen to myself nearly as much as I used to because I know how I want to control things now. But anything new in a lot of the interviews that I'll do, I'll go back and listen to just to pick up. Is that how I wanted it to go? Did it sound the way I wanted it to sound? Just stuff like that, because like what you're talking about, if you're not doing that, then I mean, I've always been a big believer that if you don't enjoy hearing yourself and the things that you're doing, nobody else is going to either. Oh, absolutely not, bro. That was a fun conversation. But I also need to tell you, if if I may, something else fun you can do, and that's opening up your mouth and putting the jam session bowl inside. (laughs) And fortunately for you, there is the jam session bowl and it's right there at Smokey John's Barbecue. We were telling you the story about one of our listeners, Donovan, who took his friend and they both got the jam session bowl. And there is that feeling like when you order it and somebody kind of you see them look at you and then they look at the menu like, what is he ordering? I don't see that anywhere. 
And that's because it's a secret menu item that Juan and Brent crafted just for jam session listeners. So anytime you're in Smokey John's barbecue, you got to take advantage of that, man, because nobody can have it but us. The, the little family of listeners that we have, have with all you guys, it, they made it and created it for all of you. Dude, it's um, the jam session bowl is, is sensational, man. Uh, <laughs> I like the fact that uh, uh, Donovan was with his boy. This boy is all pissy because he couldn't find it on yeah. the menu. <laughs> uh, but no, nah, man, it's that mac and cheese base or that mashed potato base with your choice of five smoked meats in there, man, two of the five. Then they put some bacon bits and some chives and some sour cream on it, drizzle it with uh, that Smokey John sauce, and it is delightful. It is. It's It's the way to go. And not just to mention the fact that you can bring anybody in there and anything you get, even if you want to order something from the menu, you're going to love it. It's local. It's family owned. We had Juan on the podcast a couple of episodes back. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, go find it and listen to it. He's just a they're really good people, man. It's a phenomenal business to support. So get on over there to Smokey John's Barbecue right off of Mockingbird in Dallas. Also, of course, HFX Foundation Solutions, as Aaron likes to remind us, this is that time of the year because of the extreme heat, and you're going to start noticing things happening. And if you see those cracks, you notice doors are starting to stick. Now's the time when you want to call immediately. Do not wait. Don't wait to see, well, I don't think that's a big deal. Maybe it'll get better. You need to get that taken care of ASAP, and that's where HFX Foundation Solutions comes in. They come out, man. They give you a free, no obligation inspection and just give you the once over to see what's going on and do you have a serious problem. Dude, I mean, that's all you can ask for is the peace of mind that you're paying for if there's something wrong. But it doesn't cost you anything to have them come out and give your house the once over and get that peace of mind. Um, because the soil in Texas, as we all know, is shady, man. It doesn't take much for your foundation to get off and. With anything, you want to find out if you've got a problem early rather than late, or better yet, you find out that you have no problem, and then that means, uh, you know, you got that peace of mind that Aaron and his team gives you. That's exactly right, man. And you'd be surprised, like, anytime you get one of those random deluges of rain and you notice water just sitting there, or maybe you don't even have gutters, all that contributes to foundational problems, which is why they handle that as well. They do foundation repair. They also can help you with your drainage and gutter installations. So give them a call. It's 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174 or online at hfxfoundation.com. So the other day, a big announcement for the region of North Texas because the World Cup is being hosted for the first time ever by three nations. And in 2026, the World Cup will be hosted by Mexico, Canada, and the United States, a North American World Cup. And of course, you had to know that one of the gym stadiums in the country was going to be named as a host. And yes, indeed, the DFW area and AT&T Stadium were selected to host World Cup games, which I think is funny because all the Arlington people are pissed. We're not Dallas. Dallas isn't hosting and it's Arlington. Like, okay. Nobody knows what, like, honestly, I hate to tell Arlington people this. If you just casually mention Arlington, people think Arlington, Virginia. Pretty much. Which is why you have to say DFW, Dallas. Like, I don't walk around in Alabama. Hey, where are you from? Oh, Rockwall. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, course. Nobody knows where the hell that is. I say Dallas, and then they go, oh, wow, Dallas, man. And I go, yeah, I grew up just outside of Dallas. And they go, oh, okay, cool. Then you can explain to them what it is. But... I'm sorry, guys. That's just the reality of what it is. It's the Dallas Cowboys, and they play in Arlington. You just got to get over it, man. Don't be so don't be so but, just double birds to Dallas all the time. <laughs> I mean, you're searching out your own identity, and that's cool, man. But the reality of it is it's Dallas-Fort Worth. That's yeah. why people know it. It's DFW Airport. It's not D-A-F-W Airport. It's DFW Airport. Um, you know, but it's Arlington is booming. I mean, they got the Rangers, they got the Cowboys, you're doing thing. If you know what's said, don't need to be explained if you're Arlington, man. Yeah, exactly. And so there are going to be World Cup games in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. And we don't know what we know that for sure some of the opening round games will be there, but they have not decided like where the semifinals or the final championship match will be held. And you got to think that probably SoFi Stadium out there would be the lead candidate for that. But, I mean, AT&T Stadium is a phenomenal facility for that as well. So I'll be curious to see 
once they chisel that down over, I mean, it's four years away. And I can't right. remember exactly when they said they'll announce the sites for the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals. But the reality of it is this is a really interesting World Cup. Like I said, three countries are hosting it. It'll be the first World Cup that's in the new 48 expanded field. It's Right now it's 32 that are in the current World Cup. And uh, 2026, they are moving to 48 qualified teams. And that will be 16 groups of three teams that will compete with the top two teams from each group that advances to a round of 32, where then you get to the single elimination. There are 80 matches that will be across 20 venues. The U.S. will be hosting 60 of those games. And then Mexico will have 10 and Canada will have 10. But the majority of them, and obviously the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final game will be in the United States. They just don't know exactly what venues will host that at this point. No, but I'm geeked. I love soccer. I will, uh, I'll be trying to check it out, man. Going to go to some World Cup action? Yeah. By hook or by crook, I'm going. That'd be kind of cool. Oh, no, nah, bro. It's, uh, I, went, uh, I went when they came, whenever, years ago, and they had the games in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. I went to go see yeah. these Super Eagles from Nigeria in the Cotton Bowl um, back then. So, uh, no, nah, man, I love it. I don't care who's playing. I, I'm just going. Yeah, and I was trying to think because you look at it. So, the host cities that they named from the United States are New York, New Jersey, obviously, which uh, I'm guessing they're playing where the Giants and the Jets play. Philadelphia, Boston, Atlanta, Miami, Houston, Dallas, Kansas City, Seattle, San Francisco, and SoFi Stadium. So out of those, if those are the if that's the list, you gotta think AT&T Stadium has a really good shot at at least getting a semifinal match, if not the final. Because obviously NRG Stadium in Houston might be considered as I as I mentioned, SoFi Stadium will probably be considered. Outside of that, I, I don't know, man. I don't know where else they would want to put it. And the fact that Dallas is in the middle of the country yep. and, and is so easy to get in and out of, I, I think they've got a really good shot to host not only at least the opening round match, but also host some really heavy matches as the tournament progresses. No, nah, man, I think uh, I think you're exactly right. Plus, the stadium will seat 100,000, uh, you know, and they've got the, the hotel infrastructure around in Arlington and – uh, in addition to, uh, you know, what you get in Dallas and Fort Worth. So, no, nah, I mean, I th- it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, that. Plus, you got Jerry Jones, man, the most influential uh, marketing dude out there in terms of trying to get deals done. Yeah, and I got to say that I would be – I'd be kind of curious to go to a World Cup game, especially if somehow you got to go see the Americans play. That would be badass because I can get into the World Cup. I, I don't really pay much attention to soccer outside of that, and I've tried – I remember in, God, what would that have been? 22, I guess it would have been 2014. Yeah, 2014, I watched a bunch of the American matches in the World Cup, and then I had a buddy who was really into the EPL, and he was a Man City fan. So I I tried, like, when the EPL came around that year, and I watched some Man City matches with him, and I I just couldn't get into it. I just couldn't. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh. No, I feel like that about, uh, you know, part of it is you got to have a rooting reason, I think, sometimes for a sport like that. Um, If you don't follow it all the time, like if you follow college basketball, maybe you get into it at the tournament and you go, okay, I'm rooting for the underdogs and you go on for that. Uh, That's It fails like the same reason I can't get into uh, Major League Soccer. Yeah. But I like EPL. Uh, You know, maybe it's because I play FIFA soccer on my my PlayStation. But uh, I love uh, EPL. EPL, um, now I don't follow it um, like I do other sports, obviously, but I'll sit down and watch random soccer games if they're if they're Premier League games. And some of it is because I played so much FIFA, I know, I know some of the guys, and so at least I have some rooting interest. Interesting, man. Yeah, I don't know what it is for me, but I've I, – because sometimes I feel like I'm missing out because I know a lot of people who are into it, and I just – I don't know. Maybe i got to find the right team, or, or I, I don't know what it is. I, it's – Birmingham has a, an oddly like there's a subculture of soccer fans here who are really into it. And there's a couple breweries around here that'll open early when EPL games are on when they're in season. And I mean, there'll, there'll be people there like eight o'clock in the morning watching EPL games, drinking beer at a brewery. Dude, it happens. That seems a little extreme for me. I even unless man, even if I'm on vacation at this point in my life, I don't think I'll, I'll be drinking beer at the earliest. I might do 11 a.m. <laughs> but I, I rarely ever am going to drink before noon. I feel like it's got to be afternoon for me to have a drink. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really too far behind you because you know I don't drink all that much anyway. And when I do, I prefer for it to be the afternoon. Yeah, that's a lot, man. So that will be the podcast. Kind of a shorter one today, but wanted to make sure you guys had something for your Monday. I hope everybody has a wonderful Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I hope you guys all enjoyed that yesterday. And we will be back for you. Another episode coming your way on Wednesday and, of course, on Friday as well as we continue through June, hurtling towards July already. It's crazy. But enjoy that and keep spreading it, man. We appreciate all you guys. I know there's a lot of new listeners that are checking us out. We appreciate you being a part of this. And just tell your friends, anytime people are looking for podcasts to listen to, if you'll just mention us, that really goes a long way. When you guys retweet us on social media and mention us and tell people about us, it's a pat on the back to all of you because our numbers continue to grow and we really do appreciate that as we're not that far along, or, or I should say not that far away from another Cowboys season. And we bring you, of course, for Cowboys, we always are bringing you some great Cowboys coverage, I think. So get people on board now. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.